answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so this morning, there are some things in that text I want us to see about what it means to be truly free. And regardless of where we feel we are in the freedom spectrum physically, that we can understand what true freedom means because it starts spiritually. And because of that, that bleeds into every other freedom that we are to experience. That bleeds into every other freedom that we seek. But the first thing I want you to know is, is like what he says, first thing is eternal freedom comes from abiding in and knowing the truth. First of all, there is a freedom that is eternal. There is a freedom that exudes life here. See, we experience a level of freedom of mobility and thought and expression and living. There is a, uh, uh, there is a level that we experience here, and we know that there are some in other places that are not living at that same level. But that does not mean that all of us equally cannot experience the freedom that Christ is talking about regardless of our situation, regardless of how we live, and regardless of where we live. See, this is a freedom that now goes across. It, it actually scans across and it, and it spans across any location on this planet any government, any lifestyle, any place that you live or exist, this level of freedom can actually be experienced. So he says that eternal freedom, which starts now and leads into eternity, begins by abiding in and knowing the truth. Here's what Jesus said. Let me just um, set the text. In this particular time, Jesus is now becoming more and more um, in opposition to the religious leaders and the religious elite and other people of his day. It's really sad that the people that opposed him most um, vigorously were the ones that should have known him and embraced him the greatest. In other words, it was this religious sect, these people that had the word, had the prophecies of God, had the knowledge of God, had the promises of God that Christ was coming. And here they sat and stood before the very God in flesh that had been prophesied and talked about and discussed in their writings, and they were opposing him. Here was the very definition of their freedom as both humanity and as a nation and as a people, and they were rejecting it. And what he was reminding them as he was now in constant opposition was of who he was. Chapter 8, 
begins with that woman that is caught in adultery. And it was in this text that he talks about those who, you know, those who, 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 if you are indeed without sin. And then he goes into talking about him being the light of the world, which in Hebrew culture, being a light in the world was really critical because they understood their history when they were brought about as a people. There were, they were supposed to be a light to the nations because of God. God formed this group of people. Understand, the Jews as we know it, they were not just born and God said, oh, because you are special, I'm going to take you and make you even more special. No, everyone was walking away from God. They also were idol worshipers because if you look at the history of Abraham, that's what he was as well, along with everyone else. But God chose him to make a nation. I like that. Why? Because what he told us is that there's nothing special about any one people group in this world above another. All have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. But what did God do? He chose some. And what we see with the choosing of Abraham, it had nothing to do with Abraham. It had everything to do with God. It was his act of will that he said to Abraham and called him out and said, I will make you uh, I mean, into a great nation. When you look at the text, God is always focusing on him and what he chooses to do to and toward others. It was always God saying, I will do this to you. I will make this available for you. I choose you. And so for you and I today, the, 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 the being special part of who we are, if you are a believer, is that God has chosen you to save and represent him to the world. And so we understand then that they were now chosen. And so he was the light of the world, just as they were chosen to be the light of the world, shining God, but they failed miserably. And as they failed, as many, and I'm sorry, as any other human does in living up to God's standard on their own, Christ came so that he would make it such that we could live according to God's standard, not because of us, but because of him. And so in chapter eight, he's talking about he's the light of the world and he's equating himself with God and the religious elite are getting more and more angry. They're getting, you know, uh, um, um, they're getting really upset with him even more and more. And it comes to this head as he says to them, listen. Verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I love the next verse. So they say to him, and you've got to read the emotion in that. Understand, when he says you will die in your sins if you don't believe in me, they're like, you're equating yourself with God. The only way I die in my sins if I don't believe in who you are is if you're God. And so that next verse where they go, so they said to him, who are you? You know, like, hold on a second. If I don't believe in you, I'm going to die in my sins. You can almost see them going, dude, who are you? And so he goes, 
just what I have been telling you from the beginning. The beginning of what? From the beginning of his public ministry. I've been saying this all along. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so he goes on to tell them that he is the one that if he's lifted up, they will understand what the truth is. And so finally we get to our verse and he says eternal freedom comes from abiding in and knowing the truth. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, because understand, Jesus now speaks to he usually warns those who oppose him, but he educate those who embrace him. You see that throughout scripture. And here he is now, he is now encouraging those who are embracing him. He said to the Jews who had believed. Now standing around them were the Pharisees, but to those, and you can almost see him turning to the group. Now, I'm not going to turn to any of y'all because you'd be like, well, so what are you trying to say? Me believe and the rest of the church does, so I'll turn to the door. And he says to them, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So he says, one, abiding in Jesus' words makes you a disciple. What does that mean to abide? If someone asks you, we don't use that word today, I would like to see your place of abode. Very formal. Or where do you live? What are they asking you? They're asking you, where do you stay where do you rest? Make yourself comfortable. Where is your life lived out? And you'll, if you want to, give them your address. This is where I live. This is where I abide. I'm not changing places. I stay here. This is where I do life. You do life out here in the world, but you always go home. And so he asks them, so he says to them, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple. So Eternal freedom comes from abiding and knowing the truth. First of all, abiding in Christ. If you are living in, if you are resting in, if you are staying in, and you are living out of and in his word, you're his disciple. Last week we talked about, do you really love him? And last week we said, scripture says, if you love me, you will. Okay, come on. How many of y'all were here last week? Let's do it again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And where do we find his commandments? It's the word of God. So he says, if you love me, you will keep. Not you might. Sometimes You will keep it. Doesn't mean that there are times that I break it. Yes, there are times that you break it. And probably many times in a day. But you always come back to realizing that you broke it and you get it right. And so he's not saying that you live flawlessly. Some form of sinless perfection, he says that his commandments guide you, and that's what you live out of. And so he says, if you truly love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so he says, if you abide in my commandments, now he says, you're my disciples. You are learners in me and of me. And if you are my disciples, he says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So second point, being disciples will guarantee that you are living in the truth. In what truth? In the truth about who God is and in the truth of how God wants you to live. 
So he says to you and I, understand this. Live according to his word as the pattern of your life, and you will be considered my disciples. When you are my disciples who live according to my word in a patterned way, you will know the truth. He didn't say you, it'll come to, you will know it. In other words, his word is truth. And what will that truth do? That truth will set you free. That's under, that, that, that's what he says, that truth will set you free. So being set free is assuming that you are in bondage and need freedom, which is why these guys made their next statement. Their next statement was, verse 33, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? First of all, that statement is just a bold-faced lie, whether you look at it spiritually or physically. If you look at it physically, they have got horrible memory. I, I, I'm sitting there going, I would kind of look at them like, what? What are you talking? Okay, let me go back. Egypt? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Babylon? Egypt? Currently, Rome, because they were under Roman occupation and oppression. We have never been enslaved. Okay, so even if you said spiritually, no, you actually really are enslaved because you are face-to-face -face with God in the flesh and you are opposing him. So there isn't any way you look at this that that statement is true. But they were so blinded by their physical position and by their ancestry and their nation, today we'll say their nationalism, that they were totally blind to their enslavement. And so here's what we see. Second point, Pharisee had, the Pharisees had mistaken religion and nationalism for freedom. See, they thought because I've got this religion that was passed down from Abraham and we, and and we give head knowledge, we, we give the nod, we, we live according to its rules, although they really weren't living according to all its rules, because when we turn to Galatians, Paul is talking to the people of Galatia. He says, listen, if you want to live by the law, you guys are in trouble, because when you want to go back to living by the law, you've got to live by all of it, not just the sum that the Pharisees want you to live by. In other words, you can't pick and choose which laws you're going to live by. That's what kind of gets me with those that want to go back to the law. You want to go back to the law? Because if you do, but you, you, you better live by every single part of it. As a matter of fact, you better get you some animals because you got a lot of slaying to do for your sins. You better have a huge farm. You better make sure that you're making the sacrifices. You better make sure that you're doing everything, because you can't pick and choose. I'll live by the Ten Commandments. There were more than ten of them. Those were the ones that were highlighted, and if you remember, first five is about your relationship with God. Next five is about your relationship with other humans. And so what we see in this is there is no way in which their statement is true, but they have been blinded by who they are 
thought they were physically their ancestry and who their nation was, and they thought that it gave them a leg up with God. And I will tell you right now, any time that you put who you are and where you live in equal to favor with God outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ through the repentance of your sins, you are fooling yourself just like these Pharisees were, blind as ever. As he used to say, blind in one eye and can't see out the other. The issue is they were missing the point of where true freedom starts. Yes, they could not grasp that Christ was talking about spiritual freedom through salvation that would come through him. But here they say, they were, I, I put one, they were hypocritical in their era, and they were forgetful of their past and their present. But they were only, but they were also only focusing on the physical. But then it's the third point, as we're getting toward our end, that true freedom can exist in or out of physical bondage. He tells them, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. In other words, he says, I know physically there's this legacy in you. I know that there's this legacy that you have in your ancestry. I know you can trace it all the way back to its founding. I know that you come from good lineage and stock. He says, I know that. Yet, I love this, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Listen to what he says. You claim to be of the one of whom God set that would set in motion in essence, what Christ was saying, me, because when the promise was given to Abraham, the promise was really given. And, and you look in Galatians, he says that the promise was given about Christ and the nation that would come from him, although he would use the Jewish nation to do it. But understand, he was talking about Christ and what he would do to bring many all over the world to himself. And so what he says to them is, look, understand that although you think what makes you godly is your lineage, what shows you are ungodly is your lifestyle. What do I mean by that? He says, you... I know you are offspring, physically, lineage down from Abraham, but you seek to kill me. Number one, if we want to go back to the law that they wanted to live by, murder was sinful. Murder was one of those that was a commandment that you cannot, and yet they were in their hearts. Why? Because Jesus had already established he could read the hearts of men and women. He said, you seek to kill me. Later on, he discusses and says, because you seek to kill me, you are showing that you really are of your father. But your father ain't God. 
who you are really from is someone that you don't want to lay claim to. As a matter of fact, further down, he speaks the truth so much that they actually outwardly seek to kill him. Finish off chapter 8. When you look at the rest of chapter 8, he gets down and begins to explain in nuts and bolts. And he says to him, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Remember that? And then they turn to him and he says, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say Abraham rejoiced in your day? And then he makes that statement that just sets them all off in a rage. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Or before Abraham existed, Yahweh. And boy, he says, I'm God. And what did they do? They said they tried right then to grab him and kill him. And I, I can just almost see Jesus going, I rest my case. You are of the devil. Because you seek to kill me, the God man. And what he is telling them is, look, guys, your error is blinding you to the fact that even though physically you are in bondage, that you won't even admit to, and it's the elephant in the room, you're under Roman occupation. I can take you in your history the two other times that you were in extreme bondage, yet you say you've never been enslaved. And yet you can still be free. But here's what he says. I speak. Uh, he says. Truly, truly, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say unto you who everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Let me stop right there just for a second. Do you know you can have the most freedom that you want, the most freedom of expression freedom of choice, career, education. You can be experiencing all those freedoms, and we do here for the most part. Freedom of where to live and still be in bondage and still be enslaved. And there are many of us today who are. Free as ever from a physical perspective or free to some degree. And yet, fully bound. Why? Whoever patterns their life after sin and in sin, God says, you're a slave. And you're not free. And so, he says, sin binds. How do I know? Ask the drug addict. After they get that first hit. And I've spoken to several who have been and said every ounce of their body seeks that next high. I had one guy tell me only to realize I could never get back to that initial high. But I kept trying. And I kept trying until I destroyed myself. I spoke with one man who had been high in, 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 in local government of a city. And he was introduced to coke at an executive party. See, most of us think sin is for those, sin is for those poor folk. Come on, y'all. We know good and well. Sometimes sin is so rampant among the wealthy because you get to live out all your little desires with nothing to hinder you. 
You have the money to do everything you want and many of the things you shouldn't want. We've heard the stories. We've heard the accounts of people who have, because of their extreme wealth and influence, gotten into some crazy and some freaky stuff. And you go, what? And I say, don't be all angry at them if you had all the money in the world and influence and had disregard for God. I would imagine what you would do. So the issue is, it's not your economics that will gauge and control how you live freely. So he says to them, it is regardless of where you are and your experience that will govern your freedom. What does he say? He says to them, listen. He says, those who, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Understand what he's saying. In the Jewish home, there was son and there was slave. And although the slave would be counted as family, they were not a they were not an heir. They were not a permanent heir of the blessings. So shall we go back to Abraham? Because I knew I know they understood that point. In that when Ishmael, who was the son of the slave woman that he had a child by, was in the home after Isaac was there, the slave Ishmael did not have the rights of Isaac, the son. And although God was merciful and blessed Ishmael, Ishmael wasn't getting one ounce of the promise and inheritance that God had given to Abraham. It was all for Isaac. Why? Because Isaac was the promised son, and Ishmael was the slave as a result of sin. And so I, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And so here he's painting this picture. He said, look, not only in this culture, but from the beginning of this ancestor that you're claiming hold to, he says, in the home, the slave has no rights, but the son does. And then he flips it and goes from the physical son in their cultural sense to now their spiritual son, because he says, now, if the son sets you free, in other words, the son in the house has all the rights of the father once the father passes it down. And what that son says with the rights that he got from the father goes. Jesus is painting the picture. He says, we're all in the house, right? Yes. Okay, so if the son who's been given the rights from the father sets you free, you are actually and really free. They still didn't get it. He was telling them, I'm the son in the house that was born of promise. I'm the son that everyone talked about, and I'm here, and I can actually set you free. But you are so wrapped up in your religious privilege and your, and your Jewish nationalism, you can't see it. As a matter of fact, it's not even important to you. What's more important to you is being Jewish and living, although in bondage physically, in this ancestry that you claim is so great. And miss the fact that Jesus came to set you free. So whether you live here, 
whether you live in some nation where they are killing Christians like sport, God says it doesn't matter. You can live free because when the sun sets you free, you have real, eternal, and lasting freedom. And because of that, any other freedom you experience can be more fully enjoyed or any freedom that you're not experienced can be fully endured. Why? Because I'm free. Have you seen, I mean, look through the years at the Christians over the centuries, at the Christians over the years that have claimed and proclaimed their freedom, although living under complete bondage. Think about it. And that they died excited. And that they died happy to be living in the Lord and for the Lord. Even though their struggle was real and the oppression was heavy. That's an example for us here. Many times because of the things that we are not receiving or that we believe we should be receiving or we actually should be receiving, we get upset and we want to walk away from God. And the Lord says to us, can you look at my kids all across the world? who are not living in an ounce of freedom as you see it and as you experience, yet are living for me boldly. Do we know that many times where the church and where Christians struggle and are suffering the greatest is where their faith is being lived out the most fervently? We do know that comfort is one of the greatest enemies of humanity, is that when we get comfortable, and we get a taste of that comfort, boy, I will fight to keep it at any means, even if it means fighting God. See, there's nothing wrong with wanting comfort. We all want it. You go home today, you'll have a level of comfort in whatever chair you want to sit in, and if you go to throw some food on the grill, or you go to eat, or you go to be with family, everyone wants a level of comfort, and that's good. And we should. And we should. That's okay. But to what degree are you willing to maintain that comfort? Will you oppose God to keep your level of comfort? The Pharisees, why did they hate him? Because he was messing up their gig. They had a good thing going on. They had the people duped. They had them thinking that we were the ones that you need to bow to and be like. And Christ came and said, pay no attention to those dudes. Uh, everyone was talking about me. I'm the one that you should be following. And they got mad because they started saying, everybody's following him. And I want to ask, isn't that what you wanted? But they were like, no, we didn't want that. Why? Because it was good the way we had it. And Christ said, it was wrong the way you had it. They were like, whatever, wrong, schmong. It was good. Galatians actually lets us know. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What slavery was he talking about? In this sense, slavery back to the systems of the Pharisees who believed that you were spiritual and holy 
by just trying to maintain these set of rules and laws and not understanding that it is from a changed heart that you want to live out the commands, the rules of Christ. So it is not setting up that if I obey, if I show up to church every Sunday, I'm good. How many of you know you can show up to church every Sunday from birth to death and still end up lost and without Christ? Church doesn't save you. I can dress the right way and modestly and appropriately. You can dress right from the time that you are able to dress yourself until the day you died, and it accounts for zero with you and before Christ. We can take that into any place. Your freedom, your salvation is not determined by anything that you do, but it's by you agreeing with what God has laid out and you embrace it and you live your life by it. And so we said there, he said that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In other words, that we would live free. So if the son sets you free, you can live free from sin, although currently under oppression. That's being proved all across the world right now. It doesn't mean you don't seek justice because God calls us to be people of justice. But I am not sent on this tangent. I am not knocked off course in Christ when injustice is happening. Because right now, as I say, and I say it again across the world, there is injustices happening to the people of God. We had a church that we fellowshiped with. This is a live stream. I'm not going to say where and when, but we had a church that we used to fellowship with when I was pastoring in Germany, and they would have to, you know, the way that they did it is that they would call them gatherings. You couldn't preach the words, but you can share your personal testimony. And so they would share their personal testimony while teaching the word of God. And they had to, there are no formal church buildings because, and so they had to gather and have these parties because their culture loved having gatherings and parties. So what would they do? They would gather together where they would all share their personal testimony and sing together. And then afterwards, they would break it down and gather in the groups and have dinner and fellowship together. And the government was fine with that. But the moment they called it a church, the lockdown came. So they didn't call it a church. And this was the way that they operated. I was supposed to go and share my testimony, me and my wife, and we were not allowed in the country. And instead of getting mad, I was like, okay, thank you, Lord. Because I want to get out. <laughs> if you're not making an exception to me getting in, and we tried several avenues, and they kept saying, no, no, no. And the person was apologizing to me over and over. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, I'm not. <laughs> Why? Because if God is saying no, and I'm going to keep trying to get a yes, I'm on my own, and I might not be here today. But the issue is for us, understand, freedom can exist regardless of your bondage or your being physically free. It does not mean you're free. I mean, it does mean that your freedom doesn't come from man, your true freedom. Now, 
Do you seek justice? You better. But do you enjoy your freedom? You better. But you never make comfort your God. And understanding sometimes God may be at the end of what's making you uncomfortable. So here's some questions I have for you as we close. Christ sets us free. Christ sets us free to live free. Luke 4.18 says, the spirit of the Lord is when Jesus stood up in the temple, shocked everyone as he quoted the scripture and the prophecy. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind to set liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he says, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, you think? And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. They were all shocked. He says, this prophecy is being fulfilled right in front of your eyes. And they knew exactly what he meant. Are you free? Physically, yet living in bondage because of sin? Are you truly free? People and nations right now are living under the oppressive hand of ungodly rulers and governments, yet they live free today. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Are you truly free? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us the ability to be free. Thank you for the freedoms that we, Lord, enjoy here. But also, Lord, thank you that in the ones, God, that are still being fought for, God, that we are free. And, Father, it is not because of the U.S. government with this freedom. It's not because of those who fought valiantly in wars. And those who have given their life and sacrifices, although those freedoms are greatly appreciated and enjoyed. But, Father, the freedom that we're talking about came through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And his blood that was spilled, the spotless lamb who gave himself that all people in this world can be free from sin's bondage. And live out the life you intended, regardless of our outside circumstances. Father, I pray today that we would realize that, that it would capture us. That someone here today who doesn't know Christ, Father, will understand that their freedom is in and through Jesus Christ first. And then all other freedoms can be enjoyed. Or those freedoms that they don't have can be endured. Father, I pray today that we would shore up where we stand if we are truly free or not. And make the choice that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. We ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, if you sit here and you have never made that choice or decision, you can. Remember, it is not the religious the religious were those right here who were opposing Christ. 
highly religious. It's not the religious uh, that can claim that freedom. It is those that are set free as they have embraced the fact that Christ came to die for sinners. They embrace it. They believe it. They now live out of that, and they are free. And if this morning you've never made that choice, I invite you right now to make that, that you repent of your sins, you invite Christ in, you embrace him as Savior, and you let your life be changed forever, that you actually begin today to enjoy eternal freedom, today. And it just keeps going the day you die. And so, will you live free? Will you live free? You can. I just, I am, I am so grateful this morning for, um, for all of you being here, um, for how you continue to encourage each other by your presence, and as we continue to grow together in Christ. I'm going to ask my brother Chris, did you still want to share this morning, brother? Because I was actually told that you did. You don't have to if you don't want to. Okay, then we will do next week. There you go. I just wanted to make sure because I was told that it might be this week, but we got it next week, brother. Thank you very much. And um, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to our host. Guys, have a great weekend. Celebrate well. Um, Enjoy that comfort and bring some other people in so that they can enjoy it with you. Amen? God bless you. Amen. I also want to thank you again for worshiping with us today. Um, Thank you to also our visitors, both uh, here in the room and virtually. You do have a choice in where you worship, so we appreciate that you've chosen Solid Word. I do hope something has been said or done today uh, that will help you to be an even stronger uh, believer and walker in um, in the Word. Um, At this time, um, I also pray, it is my prayer, that your freedom has come from the Son and that you are free indeed. And that on this Independence Day, that you are able to really, truly enjoy some freedom. So with that, I will leave you with one last reminder. Um, As I saw Sister uh, McManus going out, remember all the sign-ups that we have next week is the last week to sign up for the food for um, our fellowship day so be sure and do that as well and with that you may stand and be dismissed Uh, just one last reminder the uh, giving box is out